Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the VFA podcast. I'm your host, entrepreneur, and committed head of the New York City Venture for America Entrepreneurial Board, Jeremy Scheinwald. You can learn more about my student-related businesses at missiondrivengroup.com, and I'm easily findable on LinkedIn because I'm the only Jeremy Scheinwald on LinkedIn as far as I know. So LinkedIn me. Happy to connect with anyone always and love to offer entrepreneurs help in any way I can. But enough about me, lest anyone forget what brought us here. VFA is an organization that's committed to revitalizing cities through entrepreneurship. If you're about to graduate or a recent graduate, learn more about becoming a VFA fellow. If you're selected from the thousands who apply, you could find yourselves working at a startup in a city where they need your talent. Detroit, New Orleans, Cleveland, Providence, and more. If you own a company in one of the 12 VFA cities, and that number is growing, uh, so look for VFA coming to your town soon, and want a talented, entrepreneurially inclined graduate on your team, then contact VFA through VentureForAmerica.org. And now on to today's show. This is a first for us. We have had two hosts and one guest, but never one host and two guests. Today, we have Mike Winnick and Scott Reich of Our Harvest in the studio. Longtime friends, Mike and Scott, launched Our Harvest on Long Island about a year ago with the goal to bring farm-fresh food straight to consumers at family-friendly prices. Our Harvest partners with farmers to bring produce, meats, and more to market days, where consumers pick up their goods, and now delivers throughout New York City, partnering with Uber. In a short period, Our Harvest has grown immensely. Keep your eyes open for Our Harvest. It's quite the story, as you will hear. It's our pleasure to have an early-stage startup on the show today. Stay tuned for Mike and Scott. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So we're here with Mike and Scott. This has been a huge week for our harvest. Uh, Florence Fabricant, New York Times food critic, gave you a prominent mention. I follow your Instagram feed, so I saw that you guys have three new interns, which is almost the equivalent, I think. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I got an employee. I got a, an email from employee number five, I believe, Jess Treef, announcing that you guys are now live in New York City with uh, with Uber as a partner. Uh, what do you do with an, what do you do for an encore? grow the business a lot you know how it goes <laughs> we'll have a big barbecue tonight <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, the, i we i'm assuming that the uh, the new york times article was was helpful and you guys saw a good uh it, a good bump it's been huge it's been it's been a really fantastic thing for us uh, you know the business has been going along for for over a year now or about a year and so it's been exciting time to get the press and to start being able to drive forward and continue to grow the business as fast as we can so let's back up. We have two guys here who shed their suits and ties to get their hands dirty, and that literally uh, get their hands dirty. Uh, and uh, Mike, Mike and Scott, why don't you tell us about your journeys from the corporate world to the Our Harvest markets? 
Sure. Uh, I had been practicing law for a number of years uh, in Manhattan and uh, felt that I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, something that embraced that adventurous spirit uh, that Mike and I had shared. And, uh, you know, we've been childhood friends. Um, we've been friends since childhood and we were college roommates. So we always talked about doing something together. And uh, we looked at a variety of different uh, uh, industries to uh, to consider. And uh, it's been a it's been a drastic change as you can imagine uh, but uh, it's been a rewarding and, and, and fun one at the same time and so I think part of the journey was just the, the mental willingness to say I'm going to give up the safety of uh, a job that we're accustomed to, to going to the same place every day and trading it in for uh, madness almost every day. Yeah I mean <clears throat> coming from the world of investment banking obviously the, the lifestyle itself in investment banking is tough and long hours so trading one for you know the entrepreneurial startup world doesn't necessarily relieve stress in any way but it was definitely an exciting thing for us to be able to transition from sort of the corporate tight-knit world into shorts, a t-shirt, uh, a hat, and you know, getting hugs from farmers every day. So it's been, it's been one, of those, one of those weird different kinds of transitions, but one that's been exciting. And you guys, you guys both made a clean break in order to start this business. You, by and large, did the planning after you left your safe jobs. Um, Tell us about that. Do you think you ever could have gotten any of this off the ground? Uh, had you had you tried to find the the wee hours uh, in a corporate lawyer or investment banker's life? I felt like at, at Evercore, which is where I worked beforehand, I, I felt like they were really actually quite nice and helpful to me about you know my career path. And so I was always interested from a long time ago to do something entrepreneurial. And so they were always very supportive and gave me time to be able to think about and work around it. That didn't stop them from keeping me up till two in the morning necessarily, but they were as respectful as possible, knowing that you know in the long term there was something else that I wanted to do. So you know I was thankful to them for that. Yeah, I would say the reality is you can't really do this kind of job or start a business part time, at least from, from our view, given how complex this business and the operations are. So um, you, you do have to make that clean break because otherwise, um, if you're not putting everything into it, it's just not going to be the desired uh, outcome. So in your private job, your prior jobs, uh, you were no doubt called in by many a partner, um, you know, many a, an MD uh, to to come in on the weekends and evenings. My understanding is that now, <clears throat> pardon me, you're, you're you're called in by an ornery truck which emails you <laughs> and demands that you come into work. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, there's nothing like getting calls from partner at, at two in the morning, but it's actually more amazing when you get a call from a truck at two in the morning saying that the temperature has gone up too much and you better get here and fix it. So, you know, basically responding to the mechanics of a truck is a little bit different than responding to the needs of an Excel spreadsheet. But uh, e either way, <laughs> it's both exciting. So this is refrigerated food that could be thawing and, and, uh, and you've got to make your way. How, how far is it from your home? And, and, oh, like, and give me an example of some of the hours that you've gone in to respond to the truck, which is beckoning you. Yeah, so it's about 15 minutes from, the, from uh, where I grew up, actually, at my parents' house. And I stay there. I get to stay there a lot. So it's been a fun rebonding experience <laughs> with, with the parents. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we'd get a call at like four in the morning and it says, oh, the truck temperature is, you know, 0.1 degree warmer than what we set it for. Come in and check it out. And of course, that means nothing 99% of the time. So you still run and check it out. So you know, it's happened at four in the morning, six in the morning. It's happened any hour of the day, any day of the week, any holiday. Um, so it's always a journey. Has there actually been a, a call where you needed to be there? Like where, where, there, where it actually was thawing? thawing? We've not been lucky. Yeah. We've been lucky. Yeah. Nothing's ever been real. Yeah, it'd be tragic we'll to lose that kind of... fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, but the reality of this business is, is that it, it's 24-7 because whether it's keeping food fresh or responding to customers' needs or working with suppliers because obviously issues arise and one of the things that's been, uh, I think, one of the particularly rewarding experiences for Mike and me is, is the chance to make decisions on the fly and try to adapt to a changing environment given that each day is a little bit different. 
So we we just talked about the glamour of uh, of, of moving in with a parent here and there for uh, as you're as you're launching this for convenience sake. Uh, you know, Mike, you live in you both live in Manhattan, but but your your market started on Long Island, where where you're both from. Um, or Scott, you're 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 in Long Island as well, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so um, you know, tell us about starting out on Long Island. Um, you know, your first your first markets were there. Um, almost a year full of markets were, were on Long Island. Yeah, we, we started on Long Island with three markets in the communities of Roslyn, Port Washington, and Hicksville. And uh, part of the reason that we did it out there was because uh, it's where Mike and I are from. Uh, it's where we have our roots, and we felt comfortable knowing what the, the landscape might be and what the market was. And so it seemed like a logical place to, to begin the business. And uh, it didn't have some of the pressures of an urban uh, setting that we're, that we're seeing in, in, the, in the city context, but uh, it gave, basically gave us a great blueprint to grow into a larger model, both in the suburbs and, and in cities. Yeah, we got a you know when you think about starting a business, there's a lot of you know a lot of compromise you need to make to make sure that everything flows and you learn from the mistakes that you make. And I think being able to start on Long Island with our experience and knowledge base there really helped us learn to be able to hone and improve and build the logistics and infrastructure we needed to do to be able to be successful not just on Long Island but beyond. So, what do you describe a market and 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 uh, and you, know, you, you went from, from zero to how many locations, how many market days a, a week at this point? Yeah, I don't know how many we have exactly a week, but we have 15 different locations that we go to uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, plus... Our operations are seven days a week at this point because we have constant pickups from suppliers that are going on, and markets, I think, right now are six days a week. Yeah, markets are six days a week, and then we have full delivery options in New York City, which is done through Uber. And, and, and a market day is, is you've, you've culled the produce <coughs> and the and the poultry and the, yeah, you know, the, all, well, all the all the we've basically tried to recreate the farmers market experience except that the customer is shopping virtually in advance and, and in advance so it's very convenient because they can shop from their iPhone iPad computer whenever it may work and our responsibility on the logistics on the logistical side is getting all the orders together working with all the suppliers to ensure that everything is fresh and timely we package the order and then a customer in the suburbs would show up and basically see uh, a tent with table and chairs and you know our, our logo and it's very clean and neat and a customer shows up with a QR code on their receipt and uh, basically uh, we give them their order so they're in and out it's very convenient and easy yeah so there are a lot of moving parts here let's start with the farmers because you're going straight to the source for, for everything or for almost everything um, how does a Wall Street guy gain the trust of a <laughs> farmer and tell us about some of the interactions you've had as you've built some of those relationships that was definitely the, <clears throat> the toughest thing for us to do to get when we got started because going to farmers who have had very difficult experiences in the past working with distributors, other people that have tried to you know, transform the, the environment, they've always been the ones that sort of gotten the short end of the stick. And so going in and saying, we're gonna try to revolutionize the way you do business to help you get more money out of, out of your product to be able to let you share in the, you know, in the retail price. And so it was really, they, they hear that and they look at you and they say, ha no way, right? They don't believe you. And so we were lucky enough to find a few farms that were early adopters willing to sign on. And, you know, you know, they were obviously not super trustworthy of us at first. And then all of a sudden we started selling, we started getting it up on the site. They saw how the business became, you know, real. And from there, it just, everything's completely transformed. It was especially interesting because at the time that we were making our initial pitches to some of our prospective suppliers, we didn't have a website yet because that was under development. And so right. when you think about the uh, youthful entrepreneur who's, who's 
getting his hands dirty and, and his or her hands dirty and thinking about the concrete steps to get something started. Um, th this was a little bit different because there was no existing model and uh, you couldn't, we, we couldn't cut any corners obviously. And so to go to folks without uh, an actual business was, was certainly its own adventure. But we, we basically, as Mike said, came up with ways to be creative and to work with suppliers in, in ways that were sensitive to their needs. Yep. And, and a lot of it is also persistence. So mm -hmm. farmers are busy. They spend all day, all night on the farm. And in some cases, some of them go to farmers markets, which takes up lots of their time. And so they're busy. So it's hard to get them to respond. And I think an important element for us was constantly communicating with the farmers. So there, and there were farmers who were skeptical. And so what, what you do is you reach out to the farm every two weeks and basically say, hey, I just wanted to check in, see if you're interested in selling with us. And you know, sometimes they pick up the phone and sometimes they don't. And the key is, I think it's a key with a lot of startups, just not getting discouraged. And so there were farms that we were calling, you know, in January of 2014 that like literally signed up last week. Uh, and it's like, it's incredible to be able to see like, okay, that was a year and a half long, basically push to get a farm to sign up. But that's the kind of reward that we're excited about. And then when you get pressed like we did this morning, obviously that helps a lot because it just builds a lot of credibility with the suppliers too. It also reflects our philosophy, which is that we want to basically uh, adopt the golden rule of treating people the way we want to be treated. And so over time, when you think about it, just as Mike's saying that we were pitching farmers and suppliers a year ago, it took some time for people to uh, to get over some of their skepticism. But what happened was they started learning from some of their friends who were supplying us that we were good to them and uh, we were sensitive to their needs. And so as a consequence now, we actually in just a year are, are getting so many inbounds on a daily basis that a year ago, I mean, Mike and I hoped for it, but it's it was still a foreign concept at that point. So you're, you're getting inbound requests from suppliers. Oh, saying, please, please carry our products. Every day. That's amazing. Yeah. People, ironically enough, people, in some instances, people to whom we we had uh, reached out earlier, and uh, now it's uh, it's it's a little bit different. So how many how many farmers are you partnered with at this point? Oh, more more than fifty. We have more than at least certainly farms. over fifty suppliers. Yeah, over suppliers. I mean, the <coughs> it's not just farms because we're working with local food artisans also, and we're you know so it could be uh, people who are offering dressings. It could be people offering granola. It could be people who are doing in commercial kitchens, but uh, cooking things in small batches that are not traditional farms per se. But we're working with anybody that has a, a creative product that meets high standards, is affordable, and uh, and and has great quality. And and big, a big part of building trust is being able to help the farm when they need help. So if a farm needs you know, legal advice, that sometimes Scott, Scott will help them out, seriously. <laughs> or they'll call- or financial you know, stuff, same with Mike. They'll call at four in the morning and right. say, hey, hey, can got you a, help Got me? a question. And, and, and it generally doesn't even relate to the business yeah. per se. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I imagine that the fun part of this business is, uh, is, is quality control. I imagine you're out there testing stuff constantly, uh, trying to find new fun items uh, is, the, is is quality control your barbecue? Are you uh, uh, out there visiting? Qu quality control is the crux of the business, right? Because we've been lucky enough that almost every customer who places an order comes back because the food is so good. And so when we, we picked the chicken farm, we visited 10, 20 chicken farms. We went on road trips basically trying to find the ones that we felt were the best, not just the best quality, but did things the right way. So, you know, they have, they have certain ethical standards that, that we follow. And so it's always fun to bring all the test, the test stuff home and cook it up and see how it goes. But the head-to-head -head competitions are something that, 
that we love and our employees especially love when we bring in all the baked goods because we've been testing out lots of new uh, breads exactly. and cheeses and things like that. So. One of the insights that, that, that we've learned that may be a helpful tip for other people who are starting is that in, in thinking about retail, and this may sound intuitive, but to, we, we had to get the experience to really to truly understand it. But you get one shot, one crack with a lot of customers, and people have high expectations. There's, it's a competitive space regardless of what field you're in these days. And to be able to offer something that's compelling and unique is challenging. And so we're not only concerned about the quality control, but about the overall presentation of our brand and customer experience. And so a daily conversation that we have in the office is how are we going to serve our customers better? How are we going to meet their needs more effectively? And so when people send us emails, we try to respond as quickly as possible. If a product issue arises, which fortunately it's been very rare, um, then we're going to deal with it as quickly as possible and communicate to people. And what we've learned is that people really appreciate that because that's not what they see typically from other retailers in, in various fields. And especially on online, there's no human interaction. I'm not saying there's like a lot of human interaction here, but the whole the whole idea is for people to feel like they're still getting a personal experience that that the person that they're dealing with on the other side of the screen or whatever it is still cares about them is something that I think most internet companies don't do well and it's something that we pride ourselves on doing very well. So we make sure that a customer has a request, they want a certain weird cut of meat and we do our best to try to see if we can get it and accommodate them. And so there's a human a human component to it which I think gets lost in a lot of new startups. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast, a show about entrepreneurs and their stories. Are there any any uh, particularly unique items that we can find? One obscure item that we can find on uh, on the site at this point. One thing that we had uh, last week, and now we're gonna do a little bit more regularly, is a tomahawk steak, which is like for apologize to the vegetarians out there, but it is a gigantic four pound steak that is incredibly impressive. Uh, it is a beautiful steak. One of those things that you don't find at most places. It's delicious too. I can probably get a test of that. How, how much of your, of your own, uh, when you sit down to eat at your own houses at this point, I mean, how much of a, how much are you relying on your own, uh, your own produce and, and uh, as products? Much as, as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, ba basically. Uh, Let me rephrase. Uh, are you able to to, to Well, to I'll come back rely. to you, Jeremy, and okay. say that when I find out that family members or friends occasionally, you know, use something else, I have to give them a hard time because uh, this, this is the source, this is the destination for high-quality local fresh food. Yeah, I mean, I use it. For basically everything except for water bottles. Right. The example that I give is we don't sell sell that, but we use it for everything. Well, full disclosure, we're we're uh, in our house, we're clients, and uh, <laughs> and we're uh, we appreciate we're, it. We're using it well. You know, as you said earlier, you know, you don't you don't uh, you, you know you earn it through uh, through great products. So we uh, we've had we've had lots of uh, full meals with uh, with our harvest already. Um, so. A couple of, I mean, a couple of exciting things you guys have done, and and I'm curious how you managed to do this for for a you know a real startup. Um, you've established partnerships with Uber and Equinox, two really prominent brands, obviously. Um, how do you how do you establish a partnership with? Let's start with Equinox. Yeah, I, I mean, in forming partnerships like this with either and with either of the two companies, it's it's finding out things that they're looking for, things that they need, and trying to figure out. What, the, what their overlap is with what we're looking to accomplish. And so I think like when people are looking to start partnerships, they, they know what's in it for them, but trying to actually figure out what the other person needs and then, and then crafting your pitch to them based on what they need is the single most important thing that a, a startup can do in trying to create these partnerships. I and mean, that's what basically we did. 
we knew you know Equinox wants wants more members, right? And we have volume of people that are picking up. So there's a very natural, logical, logical symbiotic relationship there. And same with Uber, they're looking to make deliveries, and we're we're a company that's going to be delivering. So you know, trying to trying to build very logical partnerships that are you know that that you can sustain over a long period of time are the way the way to do it. We're talking about basically a perspective of trying to pay it forward because just as we treat our suppliers with respect and think about their needs, we're doing the same thing with all of our community partners. And so as Mike is saying, when we focus on what they need first, it really opens the door in an effective way. And then they're able to hear some of the things that we want. And what we've been able to, what we've discovered is that in all of the instances that, that, that we've been uh, pursuing, we've been able to find uh, basically common areas of interest where we can mutually benefit. And that, that's part of why our whole model works generally, because the supplier, the farmer, the vendor is going to win because we're paying them a fair price and we're not putting goods back to them as some other competitors do. Our customers are paying fair prices for high-quality products. We're feeding uh, neighbors in need. I, you know, one of the things that we're very proud of is that for every order above $25, we donate a meal to a local food pantry or food bank, and we've donated several thousand to date. And so when we're thinking about partnerships, we think about w what is it that they want, and then we're going to figure out ways that we can have synergies. Okay. I'll accept that. Great answer. But how did you actually establish the partnership? I mean, you're just, you're just calling the general number well, at Uber. and uh, It's it's a lot of, uh, we, we've gone through a lot of pairs of sneakers, let's say. It's pounding the pavement and uh, knocking on doors and, and basically uh, going through our Rolodexes and trying to find out who we know who can make an introduction somewhere. And maybe it's through LinkedIn. Maybe it's through simply an email or a phone call. And what we've learned also is that if you're if you're willing to show up and 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 make a good faith effort to to show why there's a good opportunity, then people are going to listen, and that's that's how we got in the door with with both of those places. Yeah, I think I think what Scott alluded to, but leveraging your your own personal networks, one of the advantages for both of us to stay in the careers we did as long as we did. I know a lot of entrepreneurs they they do it in high school, they do it in different times, and so you know it seems like we waited a little bit longer. But taking your time and planning things out like this, we built a network of people that are very well connected in the years that we did what we did. And so it helps us get to get to introductions, get meetings that we otherwise probably wouldn't have had access to. And I think in the case of Uber, they're just starting this kind of delivery, is that right? Yeah, this is a, this is a newer product for them. It's called Uber Rush. They've been doing it for about a year now, but they're still sort of in like the you know, the test phase, and I think that for you know, for us, it's exciting to be able to be a partner with them, and as, as they grow and learn about this, we're doing the same, so we're working together to try to help each other. And Scott, you just mentioned the, the social mission. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Um, Absolutely. Well, one of the things that M Mike and I both brought to the table when we were thinking about what kind of business we started is that we wanted to create something that was going to be socially responsible and that had a strong give back element. And so when we settled on the food supply chain and all the inefficiencies that we found with it, one of the things that was most surprising uh, and, and scary to us is that uh, Feeding America, the leading hunger nonprofit in the United States, estimates that approximately one in six Americans today is food insecure, meaning they're not exactly sure where the next meal is coming from or what the quality is going to be. And if you think about the numbers, that's literally 50 million people. And so Mike and I were talking about about this abundance of land. You have farmers who are struggling. The whole thing didn't work. And we said, how could people be hungry when we have excess food and all this land? And uh, so our, our model is to is to ensure that not only we're treating the farmers the right way and making sure that customers pay fair prices that are very competitive and often lower than the brick and mortar traditional grocery stores, but also uh, coming up with ways to, to help people who are in our midst who, who may not be as fortunate and, and, and really need some help. And despite the fact that uh, the recession started in 2008, what we've heard from our, our pantry and food bank partners is that they've never been as busy as they are today. And so uh, shopping with our harvest is, is really a universal experience because it, it, it helps people at all ends of the spectrum, including neighbors that you may not know about. 
And I mean, maybe maybe not as as, as narrowly narrowly defined as social mission, but um, there I, there is a you are cutting the time to market for these for these items. So you're you are giving healthier food to people. I mean, it can, is that is that a fair thing to say? Definitely. When a customer shops at a traditional grocery store, they are getting food that is in in some cases like two weeks old, like not exaggerating. And this is fresh produce that every single day or fresh meat every single day it's not served to you is a day where it degrades. And so by going directly to the farms and cutting out, you know, a lot of the middlemen, we're able to get that product to you as fast as possible. And it, it, there's a few factors that it impacts, right? It's not just that the food is fresher, it's more nutritious and better for you, but also because there's less storage, there's less, you know, middlemen marking it up, it comes to you at a better price. And so it's, it's, the, it's basically the, the crux of how it works. I mean, not only are you getting fresher food, you're getting it at a more affordable price. Maybe let's 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 talk about price too. I think I think this is th the three pieces of your uh, of your value proposition. Are you are you able to do this at a price that is truly affordable? Yes. Yes. And we've had, in fact, in many of the communities that we've served, we've actually had people saying that they've never been able to afford the kind of quality food that we offer before. And that's because when we eliminate the cost of brick and mortar and the costs of m traditional middlemen who are all marking up the the product and obviously handling and so therefore diminishing the freshness uh, by, by cutting rid of getting out of getting those costs out of the way we're able to, uh, to to offer things and we're still able to you know our biggest focus is on charging reasonable margins we're not looking to be greedy here uh, we'd like to do volume and have a lot of customers who are really satisfied and uh, and and focus that way so clearly our harvest is ramping up pretty quickly and and yet you guys as far as I know have decided to go it alone for now no venture funding um, you know, no family and friends funding. Tell us about the decision to bootstrap this firm, especially against. I mean, you know, you're you're still some of your competitors still you know large, well-heeled uh, grocery chains and the, and the like. So you know, how are you how are you competing uh, uh, on your own funds? Yeah, I think I think we talk about it a lot, whether we want to do a fundraise or not, and when if we do one. Um, and, and for us, the, the most important thing is, again, like Scott said earlier, focusing on the customer, focusing on the business's mission. And, you know, we spent the first few months of the business proving the concept and we know the concept works and can be profitable and can be really successful. And so, you know, now that the business is working and, and growing, it's a, it's a constant debate about how much capital we want to put to work, you know, as fast as we want to put it to work. But we felt that for us to be able to, you know, work together to do it ourselves and go it alone for now makes, makes sense for us in the long run. One thing I, I would add to that is that having grown up on Long Island and uh, inherited the weaker of the sports franchise teams from my father, uh, <laughs> being an Islander fan, Met fan, Jet fan, and uh, <clears throat> Nick fan, and uh, but I, I've always rooted for underdogs, and so notwithstanding the fact that there are a lot of players in the space and there's a lot of people that have interesting ideas, we feel that we've uh, established not just a small niche business, but something that can be very large and, and relatively quickly, too, because when we speak to customers, and that's the beauty and part of our model, where we have the pickups on Long Island, for example, and in other suburbs in the future, we get to interface with our customer literally every single time they shop with us and so we get to hear their feedback and make adjustments in real time and so while we may be underdogs initially in terms of funding because there's other established players out there we feel really confident about the team that we've assembled and the feedback that we get from customers and so uh, our, our job really is to continue making people happy and spreading the word uh, through whether it's big press or just the general word of mouth that we've been fortunate to receive so far. So I, you know, people who've listened, who've been listening to this podcast, would know that I'm I'm uh, I'm an avowed bootstrapper. Occasionally, I have a I have a, a co-host in Miles Lassiter who uh, he plays he plays the other side a little bit. Um, but I feel like part of being a bootstrapper is when you're funding things out of your own 
out of your own wallet and and uh, and out of revenue, uh, I I, th I think it forced me to become a compulsive revenue checker. I, <laughs> I even to this day, twelve years into my own business, I am willing to admit that I probably check our sales, uh, you know. 10 times a day. I'm not going to lie. I got the shakes turning my phone off for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was going to say that I, 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 I like, was, if it wasn't so rude, I'd probably the, check during the podcast. The, so there you go. The, the, New, the New York Times article hits today and I'm sitting here talking to you for an hour <laughs> waiting for my, you know, waiting to see all the orders that are coming in. So no, of course we're, you know, we're obviously thrilled to be here. How, ma how many times a day are you checking? I mean, how many I, times an hour? <laughs> I, I would say a few times an hour because keep in mind that my, Mike and I have a philosophy that no matter how big we get, that we want to be involved in the nitty gritty. And so whether that's uh, picking up food from suppliers or working the markets and uh, interfacing with customers, um, we're spending a lot of hours doing some of the hard work. And we're, we're thinking obviously strategically about how we can continue to grow and keep our customers happy. But uh, we're certainly spending a lot of time at the computer too. And those are clicking refreshes, uh, refresh buttons quite often. I guess here's the big question. If you if you wake up to go to the bathroom at night, are you checking your revenue? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then, we're, then we're definitely birds of a feather. And again, I'm, I'm 12 years in on that one and uh, and can't can't help but do it. It's the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do at night. And I'm sure it's the same for you guys. Do you find yourself exclaiming, exclaiming things like, wow, someone just bought 20 steaks? Like even even particular aspects of orders that comes up sometimes, but I think fortunately for how, given how things have been going, uh, the number that that excites us has been getting steadily higher. That's great. <laughs> Where at the beginning, like wow, they got a, they got a few packages of fish, and now it's uh, now it's a lot bigger. So it's it's been nice. Every once in a while, you'll get one of those crazy orders where we look at each other and we're like, wow, that is someone better be having a party that with is, that amount of food. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Invite me. Um, and, and, and as the as the, as the order. As you've as you've moved into New York, and I know that today is officially go live in New York, but you've been testing it for a few weeks now, um, in Manhattan itself. Uh, do you feel like is the consumer different in Long Island and Manhattan? I, I mean, the the biggest I think difference we see in the consumer is one of refrigerator and freezer space is is one thing. Uh, you know, people on in the city are looking for things much more quickly, much more instantly. Um, so it's a little bit different, but you know we're we're so new doing the city that we we haven't seen too many customers come in with different perspectives. But I think there's difference in fridge space, and I think there's a difference in you know sort of the immediacy of like get me this now. Yeah, but but people in both places are sophisticated, and they're what we're seeing is a, a growing trend of people who are becoming more informed about what it is that they're consuming and a desire to know where their products come from. And so one of the advantages of shopping with us is that on our website we proudly feature the supplier of every single product, so you can trace exactly where it comes from and know that we're picking it up, putting it on a refrigerated truck, and we're bringing it to you. So uh, there really aren't questions about things being mislabeled or uh, wondering where it comes from. And as we've been able to get more press and as people have talked about it more, they've come to appreciate the curated experience with us well I guess we you know we did, did just talk about um, the difference in consumers from from uh, from place to place um, I'm gonna put you on the spot here and say where do you expect to be in a year from now and do you guys have you don't have to answer but do you have your eyes on another market uh, yet I think the answer is we're, we're going to continue to grow as quickly as possible, and we want to make sure that we continue to take care of all of our existing customers because we really, really appreciate people who have been with us from the beginning and people who have become loyal, uh, not just customers but friends because, as we said, we get to interface. We've really gotten to know a lot of our customers, and so that's been a, a great experience for us. Uh, but I think it's certainly uh, expanding into the in, in the city. We've got a couple more boroughs that we need to open up in and uh, other suburbs, but we'll be uh, interstate for sure. Mike? 
I mean, we get a lot of friends asking, when you're coming out to California? <laughs> when are you coming to Philly? When are you coming to Chicago? And I think, look, our, our, whole, our whole philosophy is to continue to drive and grow and support the customers we have and do everything we can to support the ones that we're looking to attack in the markets we serve and continue to be opportunistic about other regions, other areas, other places that, that need us and want us. I mean, if you think about the, the mission of the business is to bring farm fresh food to everybody and make it affordable to everybody, I think that's something that is that resonates everywhere. And so we, we think the business can work in any place. And that's the beauty of it. And, and as you moved it from city to city, would you have to go out and identify a whole new uh, group of suppliers? You know, I'm, I'm potentially, potentially. It depends upon how close and near it is right. to New York. I mean, obviously the idea is to bring local food to people. And so what's local and in season in Chicago or in L.A. right now or even in, let's say, D.C. is very different than what's local and in season in New York. And I, and I think that it's such a critical component to who we are as a, as a business that we would obviously have to spend a lot of time in each market to identify the right players and right you know, right, uh, right partners. And we've, we've learned a lot, obviously, in, for, in, for, for being in business this amount of time. And so the ability to go into an, an additional market, uh, we have the model. It works. And so now we know exactly what to do and the kinds of places to go and how we look for everything. So even if we're finding new suppliers, it's going to be a much, much more um, efficient operation yeah. than when we were first starting and sort of figuring out, figuring out as we went along. Yeah, and bringing it back to one of your first questions about how it's difficult to, how it was one of our biggest challenges with getting suppliers to sign up initially. Now we have a website, an established brand, an established business, right? So it's just a much, much less difficult process for us to be able to expand. What are what are some of the the, the obstacles facing uh, facing our harvest at this point? I, I think it's really managing the growth is, is is one thing because we're we're very focused as we've been saying on the customer experience and so as we grow we want to make sure that the personal touch that has defined the ex the shopping experience with us so far will will remain that's that's certainly it's, one and, and finding more of the right the right people I mean we we're, we're we really want to make sure that the team as it grows and as it continues to grow uh, is is filled with people who create who who help promote the great uh, culture we have in our company and our, and in our office space and for people who are very key and so I don't think that's an obstacle. I think that's an opportunity, really, but it's just figuring out how we can grow most responsibly. Yeah, I mean, gr growth is fantastic, and obviously we're, we're being, you know, we're in the, th in the thick of it, right? But uh, it's really absolutely critical to maintain the integrity of our product, to maintain the integrity of the customer experience, and do everything we can to basically proselytize the brand that we've built. And I think that, you know, as, as long as we keep doing that, we'll be, we'll be successful. So how, how did you put together the team right now? You've, you've got how many people are on are on, are on the team? Um, we'll include your new interns. Yeah. And, uh, and we've got uh, about how do you how do you <laughs> I, I know you I mean I know you guys have have some I mean I, I know a few members of your team personally so I know you yeah. you guys have managed to to attract some amazing talent. Um, you talk about bootstrapping and one of the advantages to having a big family for Scott having a big family and for me having a big family <laughs> is we have a lot of volunteers that that come in and pitch in when they need to. But you know how, how do we attract people? How do we attract top talent? Is that we have a business that works. We have a mission and a vision to make a difference in the communities we serve and to be able to provide a really good product to our customers. And so you find people who share that vision and that mission. It's not hard to attract talent. I mean, it, it's not. I mean, we're, we're, we're a business that's going to work and it works already. And so, I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to join? I think when people see what the, what backgrounds Mike and I have also and what we gave up to, to do this uh, is, is also compelling because uh, no one's going to be more confident and optimistic about this business than we are. And uh, I think when people who are coming from other uh, walks of life and other serious careers, that there's a level of, of respect and appreciation for knowing 
the path that we took also. And so when we've had conversations with folks who are, who are considering coming aboard, we've talked about our own personal experiences, obviously, and how it's not easy necessarily to give up the, the paycheck and then to come into something that uh, is, is not yet fully established. But it's exciting and it's adventurous and every day is something new. And, and I suppose also the example itself, because you guys are, as I said earlier, literally getting your hands dirty. You're driving the truck, you're packing some groceries, you're you know working the markets yourselves. Is that is that correct? Definitely, every every second of every day. What it's are a, what are grind. what are some of the yeah? So tell me about the grind. What are what are some of the things that uh, when you when you left the uh, the glamorous worlds of, uh, of <laughs> when you left when you left Midtown, did you I, imagine you'd be you know mopping the the truck? Uh, at the a, end of the day. A funny anecdote that happened recently is we I was uh, driving the truck and we were parked in Midtown. We're doing some testing for, for our New York City launch and I'm parked on 59th or something like that in Park Avenue, right, right on Park, which is not far from my old office. And I see one of the partners from my previous job go by and I'm sitting there like in the front seat of the window and he like looks at me and I wave at him and he like looks at me like, who are you? You know, so it's like thinking about the... the <laughs> The different environment that that uh, you know you're currently working in. I mean, it's exciting and it's fun. I mean, you get you get a whole different perspective on on careers, on life, and employees. I and mean, it's been it's been a whirlwind. And the, the level of pride to to know that we started something that that literally didn't exist. I mean, I, I had coincidentally a similar experience of a Wilkie partner, the, the law firm I used to work at, who sent me an email after seeing one of our trucks in uh, in, in Midtown. And it's cool. I mean, we we, we left uh, careers that were safe where we had lots of opportunity to, to, to work hard. Um, but to create something, I think, is something that, that there's a different level of, of ownership because we feel like this was our baby. When you guys left, was, was there any – Mike said that, that, that the team at Evercourt was pretty supportive. Was there anyone um, – you know, did anyone discourage you? I'm always curious about that. I, People I, were discouraged I mean, from I, entrepreneurs. There's I, I personally, I personally, and I, Mike can speak for himself. Obviously, I, I personally received uh, a lot of uh, private uh, conversations saying, "You know what? I, I just wish I could do this also." <laughs> so, yeah. I think investment bankers are very generally very risk averse. Uh, too. At least in like the right. M and A world, and so you know their initial reaction is, "Wow, uh, you know, I can't believe you're going to actually do it." And I think a lot of people were, Scott said, secretly jealous. I think it was it was fun to convince the family that like this was like the right approach. I mean, my wife's been all in from the beginning, uh, but like even my parents, like initially, like you're gonna leave a really high paying job to go like drive a truck, right? And that was a harder sell at first, but yeah, that's what I'm getting at exactly. Soon, as soon as soon as the you know as soon as the you know the, the decision was made, obviously everyone's on board, supportive, and really thrilled and excited. So, I mean, you've already said a couple times, Scott, you know, 24-7, and, uh, and we already did talk about that, uh, the truck alerting you and demanding that you be present in Long Island at wee, in the wee hours. So, our harvest is dominating your lives. I mean, Scott, you published a book on, on, uh, on President Kennedy. Do you have any time to, to write anything these days? Not anymore. Well, <laughs> Occasionally, the team will let me do a Facebook post or something, but <laughs> no, no. So, all leisure no. pursuits are, uh, are, are by the wayside? Yes. Mike, uh, any? Uh, I'm going to watch the Ranger game on Friday. Yeah, I'll make sure I watch the Ranger game. On Friday. And you're, I mean, you're an avid reader too. I mean, yeah, I've, I've gotten a few book recommendations from you now. That I'm kind of revealing that we're good friends, I guess. But I've that's thrown, okay. I've I've been f trying to find, you know, between like four in the morning and six in the morning are like good times to like try to catch up on a book when you can't sleep, worrying about your revenue for the day. So, uh, no, you know, you try your best to to try to do things that keep you sane, uh, you know, but it's it's not easy. I want to give you guys the last word. Any 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 thoughts? You can you can also feel free to throw in uh, 
your, your, uh, I'm assuming your Instagram handle is at uh, our harvest and same with Twitter. Uh, all, all, okay, same with Twitter. And we're on Facebook too. On Facebook too, I imagine. But any any uh, any last thoughts, um, you know, uh, on on this journey? Maybe considering that this 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 uh, the VFA itself is targeted at um, you know trying to get college kids to be more entrepreneurial uh, as opposed to be to be honest as opposed to going to sort of the, the, the banking or, or, or law path what do you what do you have to say to, 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 to the to the you that was that age uh, being an entrepreneur everyone it's sort of like the hot thing to say you do right and I think it's it's a very very challenging career path for so many different reasons there's a different level of anxiety when something is yours than when it's not and and obviously, I always encourage people to try to start their own thing and to do something. But it, it's to try to do it with with uh, forethought. It's to basically come up with a plan to spend time and think about, uh, you know, what the business you want to start, why you want to start it, and then take the time to figure out what it takes to get there. And so that'd be my advice: is to not just jump into something for the sake of jumping into it, but take your time and think about it. I would say two things. The first is that this this may sound obvious, but there really aren't any shortcuts. And if you're focused on the the customer experience, then you, you just have to do everything right along the way every single time. And so uh, as much as everybody wants the overnight sensation to, to, to happen, and we've been very pleased and, and pleasantly surprised perhaps with, with how fast some of the growth has been, um, it's, it's a painstaking process every day. And the other thing I would say is that for people who grew up together or may go to school together as Mike and I have, uh, it's important to, to be in business with somebody who you trust. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've never been able to work with anybody who's as smart as Mike and uh, driven and talented and ambitious. And so, you know, when, when there are questions about things that are going on, whether it's in the office or elsewhere, I always trust that he's going to make uh, a really good call. And, um, you know, I think that's really critical because, you know, we need to communicate with each other 24 hours a day. Um, and so for people who have an idea who they may want to do with a roommate as, as we did or just a friend or, or an acquaintance, that I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle, too. Definitely. Great. Uh, that's probably a great place to end with uh, a discussion of partnership like that. Uh, great <laughs> high note. Uh, this has been awesome, guys. I, I know you're both incredibly busy, especially today with the New York Times article coming out. Uh, you know, you have customers to please and a team to support. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, your lovely wife Becca is pregnant. Scott, you're newly engaged. You know, this is a <laughs> this is time that you could use for other things. So I want to congratulate you on your successes personally and, and professionally. And thank you for telling your story to our listeners. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.